Our scripture reading for today is from the book of Matthew, chapter 6, verses 1 through 21. Listen now to the word of the Lord. Beware of practicing your righteousness before other people in order to be seen by them, for then you will have no reward from your Father who is in heaven. Thus, when you give to the needy, sound no trumpet before you, as the hypocrites do in the synagogue and in the streets, that they may be praised by others. Truly, I say to you, they have received their reward. But when you give to the needy, do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing, so that your giving may be in secret, and your Father, who sees in secret, will reward you. And when you pray, you must not be like the hypocrites, for they love to stand and pray in the synagogues and at the street corners, that they may be seen by others. Truly, I say to you, they have received their reward. But when you pray, go into your room and shut the door and pray to your Father who is in secret. And your Father who sees in secret will reward you. And when you pray, do not heap up empty praises, empty phrases as the Gentiles do, for they think that they will be heard for their many words. Do not be like them, for your Father knows what you need before you ask him. Pray then like this. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done, on earth as it is heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts, and we will also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil." For if you forgive others their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive your trespasses. And when you fast, do not look gloomy like the hypocrites, for they disfigure their faces that their fasting may be seen by others. Truly, I say to you, they have received their reward. But when you fast, anoint your head and wash your face, that your fasting may not be seen by others, but by your Father who is in secret. And your Father, who sees in secret, will reward you. Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth, where moth moth and rust destroy, and where thieves break in and steal. But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven, where neither moth nor rust destroys, and where thieves do not break in and steal." For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. The word of the Lord. The Lord be with you. Uh, Welcome. Uh, Before I begin, um, I do want to say a word of thanks and appreciation Uh, To the many of you uh, who sent me premature congratulations last Sunday, followed almost immediately 13 seconds later with condolences, I do appreciate it. Uh, It was was a quite painful uh, day for me, Um, but in retrospect, I'm trying to be thankful that we now have another shared memory together, so uh, uh, let's pray together. God, um, thank you for this day. Uh, We're thankful that we can gather to be with you and with one another. And we ask now once again that in the hearing of your word, 
uh, you would just lead us to you. We ask in the name of Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen. So we're continuing through our uh, work uh, through the narrative lectionary and the Gospel of Matthew. Chapters 5, 6, and 7 in Matthew make up what's known as the Sermon on the Mount. And last week, uh, Pastor Ethan led us through the first part of that sermon, the Beatitudes, and noted that they point out our great need for God and for one another. Then following the Beatitudes, Jesus identifies the meaning of true righteousness, the greater righteousness, the righteousness that exceeds that of the Pharisees, and calls his followers to a life of integrity and justice. We are to value others as God values people. And so Jesus then lists a series of prohibitions against things like murder and adultery, divorce, Uh, And the commandment to keep our vows, to limit our retaliation, and to love others uh, as we love ourselves. And then in chapter 6, as you just heard, Jesus describes true righteousness in terms of our personal acts of devotion and piety. Jesus tackles here three common spiritual exercises. Acts of charity, prayer, and fasting. And in each case, Jesus contrasts the acts of the hypocrites with that of how his disciples ought to practice differently. Now, Jesus' assumption is that his disciples are doing all of this already. And he begins each of these instructions with that assumption. And he begins them with a plural you. He begins, when you, that is you all, when you all give to the needy, When you all pray, when you all fast, but then he switches right after that to the singular for the rest of the instruction. That is, when you give to the needy, you personally in the singular, when you personally pray, when you personally fast, when you do these things on your own, do it this way, and God who sees in secret will reward you personally. And so here, Jesus is talking about personal piety and how it must be practiced. So it's a little bit different from the kinds of corporate prayers that we might do. It's different from the, the, the acts of charity that we do as a church. Uh, and so the emphasis here is really about personal devotional uh, piety uh, that we commit ourselves to. And I think what makes the Christian life really difficult, uh, if not impossible, is that not only are we called to know what is right, not only are we called to do what is right, but we are called to know and to do what is right in the right way. It's not good enough. It's not adequate simply to do what is right. Jesus says the intentions and the motivations must also be right. And the basic principle that Jesus lays out for his disciples is this. He says that spiritual disciplines must be practiced with a sincerity of heart. It must not become performance art. They are not to be these theatrical uh, rituals of hypocrisy and self-righteousness. 
They should not become another form of virtue signaling. They should not be photo ops. They should not be carefully curated posts for social media. They are not meant to draw attention to ourselves. Rather, Jesus says these disciplines ought to be done in secret, privately, alone. And in such contrast to our current cultural ethos. It seems to me that what these secret acts of devotion can do for us, if only for a moment, is to free us from the kind of debilitating self-absorption, right? The kind of exhaustion that comes from posing and projecting a certain uh, social um, yeah, status, I guess. It gets at the root of our being and the root of our well-being. And Jesus puts it pretty bluntly. He says, if you practice your piety, your religiosity, if you put on a show so that you can be seen by others, to be praised by others, then you will have that reward. You will have the reward of being praised by others. But, he says, if you practice your piety in secret, then God, who sees in secret, will reward you. And so that's the choice that each of us has in our devotional life. Spiritual exercises have rewards. It's clear. It's a matter of choosing which reward you want because it seems like the two rewards are mutually exclusive. Now, some of you might feel a little uncomfortable hearing about spiritual rewards as if um, you might be rewarded with eternal life for uh, your spiritual practices. Uh, But, you know, let's be clear and Scriptures are overwhelmingly clear on this point uh, that the reward of God is not about earning salvation or eternal life. This is not an exhortation to work harder on your spiritual disciplines and your, and your personal piety so that uh, you will have the reward of God's acceptance. That is not what Jesus is talking about here at all. Uh, the Apostle Paul, for example, will make this clear in his letter to the Corinthians, 1 Corinthians 3. He writes, For no one can lay a foundation other than that which is laid, which is Jesus Christ. The foundation is Jesus Christ. The work of salvation and eternal life is done. It is the foundation laid by Jesus and Jesus alone. It was a finished work on the cross. It is God's work that's done. But you and I get to build on that foundation. Paul goes on to say, now if anyone builds on the foundation with gold, silver, precious stones, wood, hay, straw, each one's work will become manifest. For the day will disclose it because it will be revealed by fire. So all that we build will be revealed and tested by fire to see what we've built. And so if the work is something that is precious, made of metals like the gold and so on, it presumably will stand. But if we build on that foundation with things like straw and wood, it will burn away. If the work that anyone has built on the foundation survives he will receive a reward. So again, it's not talking about the foundation of salvation. It's talking about the things that we build on it 
for which we will receive a reward. And Jesus himself will add a little bit later in Matthew 10. He says, the one who receives a prophet because he is a prophet will receive a prophet's reward. And the one who receives a righteous person because he is a righteous person will receive a righteous person's reward. And whoever gives one of these little ones even a cup of cold water because he is a disciple, truly I say to you, he will by no means lose his reward. So that there's rewards for hospitality, for welcoming prophets and the righteous and giving even a cup of water to a little one. Now, it's not spelled out exactly what these rewards are. These, uh, it's, it's hard to kind of process this maybe. But we are promised a reward from God for our secret acts of compassion, prayer, and fasting. And I think you would agree with me that in doing acts of charity, in praying, and in fasting, that one of the great rewards that you have is a kind of um, inner contentment or satisfaction, even joy, right? That you have this feeling of, you know, I've done what is good, what is right, what is pleasing before God. I've been, so there is this kind of reward of knowing you've been obedient, knowing that you've pleased God, and there is a kind of joy that can result from having exercised obedience. I think, you know, sometimes when you, um, when you pray, um, the reward simply might be that you experience a sense of peace, right? When you fast, the reward might be you, you get clarity on something that has been troubling or con- confusing to you. When you give to charity, the reward might be that the sense of um, solidarity with others, a feeling of empathy, right? So I think there are these kinds of rewards that we can experience uh, as we commit uh, these acts. And these are all good rewards to be cherished and pursued, um, to be desired. And so here are these three spiritual disciplines. And Jesus says, here's how you can do them. And here's a reward from God for that. That'd be a good sermon. Um, But I'd like for us today to just consider one more step. Because after laying out these three spiritual disciplines, Jesus appears to then be moving on to another topic. He warns us about laying up treasures on earth that will rust, that will get eaten, that will inevitably perish, and instead calls us to lay up treasures in heaven where there is a kind of permanence. He says, do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy, where thieves break and then steal, but instead lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves do not break in and steal. And then Jesus concludes... For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. For where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. Now, the way I've always thought about these words, the way I've always sort of interpreted and applied this particular passage in the past uh, has really been um, very concrete. I've always interpreted this in terms of just Money. When Jesus here is talking about where your treasure is, where we devote our 
financial resources. That's an indicator of where our hearts are. And I've sort of thought about this in really kind of two, two ways, and maybe you have too. Um, first, I understood Jesus' statement, for where your treasure is, there your heart will be also, as a kind of a pragmatic statement to mean something like, put your money where your mouth is. Right? Especially in our society that, that's you know, driven by capitalism and consumerism, um, where, where money has such an uh, overbearing and overvalued position, um, it's very easy to kind of judge others by how they're spending their monies. Right? We think we know where a person's values, where their heart is, by observing how we think they're spending their money. Right? We can see people spending outrageous amounts in sending their kids off to school, to college, for example. Like, so you know they value education. We can see where people are spending their monies, on their, perhaps on their, uh, on their well-being of their parents. Um, home improvement. Giving to the church or other charities. Perhaps to a, to a, a, a hobby. Or perhaps in the way they dress. Uh, the kinds of vacations that they might take, the car that they drive, um, or, or whatever. And, and so we observe these things, and we can get some sense, or we think we get a pretty accurate picture of where their priorities lie. But rather than you know, um, judging one another, I think it would be far more helpful for each of us uh, to take this and kind of honestly review our own lives to honestly kind of reassess where it is that we're putting our treasures and maybe that's an indication of where our hearts are and maybe that's not where we want to be. Maybe we tell ourselves we're so-and-so or we're such-and-such person. But when we examine our finances, perhaps it tells us a different story and maybe that's an alignment that we want to fix. Secondly, the way I interpreted Jesus' words here is more psychologically to mean that instead of trying to start with the heart, instead of trying to start with like caring about something and then start pouring money into it, Jesus has this insight that, you know, put money into it first and then the heart will follow. For where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. The heart will follow where you make financial commitments. Right? One variation of this um, I, learned, I was reading about this week comes from a behavioral scientist. Uh, and they're talking about one of the best ways to create new habits in your life or to break habits in your life is to make it financially costly. Right? So for example, if you want to lose 10 pounds in 10 weeks, certainly you can try to do that by willpower. But if you really want to do it, they suggest something like this. Write a check for $1,000, let's say, and give it to a friend of yours and tell them, if I don't lose 10 pounds in the next 10 weeks, I want you to send this $1,000 to the Ku Klux Klan or some other repellent organization. Right? You commit a significant amount of money to be given to some organization that you are absolutely opposed to if you don't reach your goals. That's a very powerful motivator. It works for almost any new habit you want to create, including spiritual ones. 
If you want to care about something, this is not a bad way to approach it. To put your money in it first, and then you will see that your heart and a greater commitment will follow. Now, I think those are two good or fair applications of Jesus' words. Uh, and I, for where your heart, for where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. But it seems to me that Jesus may have had a different emphasis in mind. Because I know that we tend to separate the Sermon on the Mount. Okay, here's Jesus' sort of mini-sermon on the three spiritual disciplines. And then here's another little mini-sermon on earthly and heavenly treasures. We kind of separate them as two separate things. But I wonder if Jesus means to connect them. And that this section on treasures is not something separate, but is a continuation of what he's talking about with the spiritual disciplines and perhaps even as an application of what he's talking about with the spiritual disciplines. If you're like me, I think you probably think about spiritual exercises or spiritual disciplines largely in terms of earthly benefits right now. Right? We, we think of them kind of like we think about exercise. They're good for me right now. When I do acts of charity, when I pray, uh, when I fast, I'm, I'm gaining benefit for myself and for others here on earth in this life right now. Right? In fact, wh- why do we pray? We pray a lot of times because we need help. Right? We fast because we, we want clarity or we want whatever. Right? So there is this kind of uh, pursuit of the here and now. I suspect, for example, almost all of you, if not all of you, uh, at some point probably prayed for someone who has COVID, right? And what do you do? You pray for what? For their healing. You pray something like, God, you know, please, please heal them. Let their symptoms be mild. Uh, let the rest of their family uh, be negative. Let them, you know, not have long-lasting uh, negative uh, health consequences and so on. That's not a bad prayer. That's not a bad thing. But why is it that so much of our prayers is for God to do something for us here and now and right now? To bring physical healing or to bring comfort in this world. And again, it's not a bad thing. But, you know, as I've been thinking through this and as much as I hate to admit it to myself, I realize, you know, so much of my prayers are for health and wealth. The very thing, the very false gospel uh, that I preach against. Maybe the health and wealth is not necessarily for myself and they're made with good intentions for others. And of course, it's important to pray for these things. But I think Jesus is trying to point us to something more. That the rewards of spiritual exercises are not just about some sort of temporal or even a kind of spiritual benefit for us just for here and now. Rather, these rewards, I think, might be a way of trying to orient our minds and our thoughts to something beyond, to above, and to the age that is to come. It seems to me that the earlier secret rewards that Jesus talks about in the spiritual disciplines might be the treasures that he's talking about that we ought to store up. That the treasure he's not telling us to store up is not simply, you know, put your money into uh, missionaries and, you know, that, that, uh, 
right? I mean, that, that's a good thing too, but that's not exactly what he's talking about. Maybe he's talking here about the rewards that we're getting from God, from our private secret practices. Those are the treasures. Those are the treasures that we can store up for all eternity. And so as we do acts of compassion, as we pray, as we fast, we gain rewards which we can then lay up as treasures in heaven and then our hearts will follow. So even as we pray for the healing of others, here and now, it can also become a reward that we can lay up as a treasure in heaven forever. So I, don't, I think Jesus isn't simply talking or concerned about where I place my monies. Now, that is certainly one kind of treasure, especially uh, in our culture. But Jesus is also calling us to treasure acts of kindness and charity, to treasure prayers, and to treasure fasting and other spiritual disciplines. That prayers done in simplicity, fasting done in secrecy, kindness done with sincerity, that these are all treasures. And when we do that, Jesus says, one thing is certain, that's where our hearts will be. In other words, our, our hearts, our whole beings will be redirected toward God. Jim Elliott uh, was a famous missionary in the 1950s. Uh, he was killed by the, uh, the Alka or the Harani uh, Indians in Ecuador uh, as he was trying to evangelize to them. And uh, probably the most uh, famous thing that he ever said or wrote uh, was he said, he is no fool who gives what he cannot keep to gain that which he cannot lose. He is no fool who gives what he cannot keep to gain that which he cannot lose. And Jesus reminds us that all that we possess is temporary. It's impermanent. It's liable to rust, to moth, to theft. We keep none of it in the end. All the things that we value for ourselves here, now, will perish. But Jesus promises all that we do in secret, whether they're acts of mercy or prayers or fasting, hidden from the applause of others, will be rewarded by God. Not only here and now, but they will become these eternal treasures in heaven forever. And so that, that's my exhortation to you today. To store up for yourselves these eternal treasures. These treasures that come from time spent alone in secret with God. And as we do that, our, our hearts will, will just drift and move ever more so toward God. Please pray with me. Lord, we thank you again uh, for your word. And God, we thank you for the means that you have provided by which we may grow, by which we may come to know you, by which we may direct our hearts towards you. So help us, Lord, to carve out the times in our lives to be in prayer and in fasting, to serve others in secret, 
so that we might receive those rewards. Not only the rewards that we can experience today, here, now, in the transformation of our lives, but knowing that they will bear fruit, become treasures for all eternity. Help our hearts to follow those eternal treasures. We ask in Jesus' name. Amen.